This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 131. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have an exciting, lovely guest. It is my friend, Susan Sales, and she is the owner of Brooklyn Road Veterinary Clinic. And we have been friends for a while because we met on some leadership um, committee through the MVMA. And um, she's an amazing individual, and I'm excited to have her on the podcast today. Welcome, Sue. Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me. I've Thanks been so much for being here. I know. I'm so excited. Susan was supposed to come on with me in December when I was having the other Michigan veterinarians and somehow we didn't get together, but I'm really excited we're going to do this today. So I'm happy to have you. And I think that um, the listeners will get a lot out of your story and hopefully we will bring some insights for them. That's the goal. Definitely. <laughs> if somebody doesn't have to repeat what I did. That would be okay. Yeah. Right. If we could tell everyone all our mistakes, <laughs> maybe yeah, we should absolutely. do a podcast. This is what not to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe that'll be our next podcast. This one, yeah, this one, we're going to tell you what to do. Next one, we'll say what not to do. How's that? Sounds great. <laughs> I love that. All right. So why don't, if you're, if you're okay with it, why don't you just kind of tell us about yourself a little bit, about your journey, you know, what brought you to vet school and all of that? Sure, sure. Well, um, I'm, I have the, the same classic story as, as most kids do. And when you're young, dreaming of becoming a veterinarian and thinking that's, that's it, that's what you're going to do. And, and I remember uh, in first grade, we had to fill out all of our, our, our uh, career goals and veterinary. In first grade. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Veterinarian came up and, and I did for a short time in high school, actually toy with human medicine. Um, think maybe this is the route I want to go. And, and no, I just really fell in love with, with the aspect of animals and veterinary medicine, not really understanding how much human aspect there is to it at the time. And, and so actually I got kind of the best of both worlds, I think, because that, that interaction with the owner is so important, um, and, and such a big aspect of what we do. Um, but so, yeah, I, I went to Michigan state, um, graduated, um, through a, a special program there actually called the scholars program. Um, it's still in existence, I believe, but a bit different than the way when I went through it. Um, essentially I was able to go through without having to get an undergraduate degree and being guaranteed acceptance, um, into the veterinary program. And so I did undergrad and vet school all together in six years. Oh, um, so that's nice. Very condensed. Yeah. Which helped financially. Sure. And so, uh, graduated in 97 from Michigan state. Um, and worked uh, in small, actually worked in mixed animal to start with. Um, that was my goal was, was to do some large animal work. Um, and the first practice I was at, um, just wasn't the right fit. I only ended up being there for about four months. Um, I, I wanted to do surgery and was allowed to do surgery. Um, but I was kind of behind the scenes more than I wanted to be. I, I wanted to really be meeting clients and, and doing things up front and it just wasn't working out. So, uh, the practice that 
I went to, um, I ended up working there until 2001. Um, and the owner was wanting to retire and asked if I would want to um, buy him out. Um, I went to him first actually and said, I'd like to be a partner. And he said, why don't you just buy me out completely? <laughs> and I said, because I don't have any money. <laughs> I'm still That's taking the problem, loans. right? Money is always the issue. Um, and he said, well, I'll tell you what, you know, I'll help finance you and we can just reverse roles. I'll become your associate and I'll coach you through whatever you need coach through. And it was a wonderful, wonderful situation. Um, it worked out very well for me. Yeah. It sounds um, ideal. So yeah, that was in 2001. Um, I became the practice owner at that point. We were a tiny, tiny clinic. Um, and since that time in 2015, we just built a brand new building, um, over a million dollar building. So we've got a large space, um, with five exam rooms and at back in the, in the day, um, I don't even think we had a licensed technician. Uh, I think there were maybe four employees and now we have 21 employees and nice. a, a whole different situation. <laughs> so yeah, it, that's a big jump, right? Huge, huge. And lots of growing pains along the way and figuring things out and, and back to that, what you wouldn't do again and what you would do. again. <laughs> <laughs> well, and isn't that life, you know, yep. it, you're always going to have failure, but that's what pushes you forward. Well, it certainly is. And, and, you know, I always enjoyed leading. It was one of the things that, that drove me from, even when I was in high school, I was class president and did those kinds of things. And so, um, classic overachiever, huh? Yeah. yeah typical. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> perfectionist, you know, all of the things that veterinarians tend to be, um, yeah. hard on yourself. Uh, and so when I got out of vet school, I got mixed up with MVMA and started down the leadership path that way as well. So in between all of these other adventures, I ended up as president, one of the youngest, if not the youngest president of the MVMA back in 2012. Um, and yeah, that's, that's driven a lot of my time since then as well. I, I helped to serve on committees whenever possible and task forces and, and enjoy that um, as my, my fun side gig, which I know you really should probably have something that's not your career as your side gig. And I do some of that too, but I love veterinary medicine. It's my thing. <laughs> well, and I, I really do um, encourage people to kind of get involved with their local associations, even if they're the very local ones, you know, they have the local and then they have the state and then the, you know, yep. the, the national associations and you and I have both had really great experiences going through my local. And then I went to the MVMA as well. And um, it was just a, a really good thing overall for your development as a leader. And tell me, tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. The networking is the big thing and, and you don't realize it at the time. Right. You really don't. The How many people you you'll meet. Yeah. Being even, in the beginning, of course, as a just out of vet school, I was very unsure of what my place was in all of this. And who, who are they to ask me to do this? I don't know anything. I don't know what I have to contribute. And so I was quiet and I listened a lot and I met a lot of people and I learned a lot from them. And then I would occasionally have a little interjection of uh, what Stick about your this? neck out <laughs> a little bit <laughs> yep. with maybe one idea. Yeah. And, and it, it just blossoms from there. The more people, you know, the connections you make, 
I'm amazed now. Um, I, I'm part of actually the Uncharted um, Veterinary Group, which is um, run by Andy Rourke. Um, and the people that I've met through that, one of my employees is applying to vet school down um, in Florida. And I was able to connect her with someone who, who is handling mental health for students in Florida. And so right. never would have done that without the connections that I have through leadership. Never. Right. Yeah. Um, and it kind of expands your horizons, not only with the people that are on the boards with you, but then the people they know. Yeah. Oh, you yes. Know, like I, I've read, I would have never met you. I don't think if we were not on the Michigan board together no. and just all the other veterinarians in the state, there, there's so many that we've gotten yeah. to interact with and meet. So yeah, in areas of practice, I mean, you're in the different part of the state, even though you're practicing the same type of medicine that I am, I still wouldn't have met you. And then there's the the equine veterinarians that I definitely wouldn't have met now that I'm just doing small animal medicine, I wouldn't have had an opportunity or a reason. Um, and, and I think those connections are what really, really strengthen us um, as a profession. And so that's one of the things we're talking about um, as MBMA goes forward, we're trying to include some of those networking opportunities in, in the future conferences because they are so important. Yeah. So if somebody um, is out there and we're talking about getting on boards and things like that, and that sounds really scary to them, or they're an introvert and they don't really know how to start down that road, what would be your advice to kind of getting over that fear of not knowing anyone? And, you know, I did a podcast on connections and how hard it is to walk into a room and not know anyone and how uncomfortable that is. Like, what yeah. kind of advice would you give to somebody that thinks that that would be an interesting thing to do, but they're afraid to do it. Sure. Well, I, I know there are a lot of introverts in, in this career. Um, yeah, just I think mostly. From, from yeah. And, and again, I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't done some of the things that I'd done. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it, it, that whole imposter syndrome is so huge. You think you're the only one that doesn't fit <laughs> in. And then when you start asking and you start talking to people, you realize, I these people are my group. This is, this is my, my troop. Um, you know, I would say starting local, um, is a great way to really tiptoe into things because a lot of times you do know someone in your local association, at least a little bit, or you're familiar with their practice and to go there is not quite so scary. Um, and, and again, just go and listen, uh, you know, if there's CE or if there's a meeting going on, listen to what's going on. And, and they're going to ask you for your, your input. Um, and if you don't know, say, I don't know, or I'm not sure, let me think about it. Um, but they're going to ask you. And if you have thoughts and you have ideas, you'll find a way to, to get into it and they'll help you. Um, the locals are the great, great place to start. Yeah. And just that fear that you feel when you walk in the room, if you just realize that almost everyone else has felt that, yeah. you know, the ones that have been there a while probably feel comfortable, but the, the newbies always feel a little out of place. And I have found veterinarians to be very generous and welcoming people. And so I think if you can get over that, um, even in a small way, get over that fear of being the odd man out, you can, you can really get some good skills, I think leadership skills, and also just skills with how to meet other people and how to interact. And, um, you know, even if it's uncomfortable and exhausting, if you're an introvert, 
I think um, yeah. on some level, you'll love it. Yeah, I love, I, I I love think- board work. It, it is. It's, it's fascinating. It's not the kind of thing that you do in your day to day, which is what makes it fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are bits and pieces and little things that you can take back to your every day that makes sense um, for your practice um, or your life, um, your relationships. And that's what's amazing. You just don't even realize that until you, you've immersed yourself in it. So yeah, uh, getting to know somebody is scary you know, and, and you do have to put yourself out there a little bit. I think it tends to snowball when you find the right group of people. And so if you do put yourself out there and you don't feel like you fit in, try a different group. Don't, don't feel like you have to give up. Yeah. Cause sometimes you don't fit into every group, but there is a group that you'll fit into on some level. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you said you're a practice owner since 2001, right? Yes. So that's been a while. Yes. 20 years. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) It's hard for me to believe. Yeah. (laughs) You seem like such a kid. (laughs) Well, I feel like a kid a lot of times, um, but actually I had a a client yesterday that was one of my first clients. Oh, really? And and they said 23. Well, they were here with their cat who's 23 years old. Oh, wow. Go remember when he was a kitten, and I was oh like, gosh. "Oh my gosh, yeah, I, I do." And, and he said, "Look how much older you are." And I thought, oh. oh, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> he was throwing some shade. <laughs> I, I said, "Yeah, I, I know. Trust me, I feel it." <laughs> but yeah, most of the time I, I think of myself as a youngster still. I think hard. we all do. Yep. That my, I asked my grandma once when she was eighty-five. I think she was eighty-five or eighty. I said, how does it feel to be 80? She said, it feels the same as when you were 20, except when you look in the mirror, you're kind of horrified. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a really good answer. I just, I just say my mind is the same, but my body is telling me things I can't do anymore. (laughs) Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about um, maybe practice culture. Like we kind of touched on the imposter syndrome and, um, but I think sometimes in some of these practices that people are in the culture isn't the greatest. And I think that doesn't help with some of the things that we struggle with. And I know that you're a strong believer in, in practice culture and cultivating that supportive nature of your hospital. Talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. I think, I mean, all you have to do is go online and look anywhere and you can see post after post after post of people saying they're unhappy where they're at. They don't like it. They, they don't, um, people don't, appreciate them. They don't fit in. They, they get taken advantage of. They don't get a lunch. They don't get this. They don't get that. And um, there are places that are, are toxic places that negativity feeds upon negativity. It's hard, uh, I think, to cultivate a practice that is positive um, because it's very easy to catch a negative bug and be pulled in the wrong direction. And so if there isn't a leader in the practice who is actively working towards staying positive and developing the type of culture that you want, if the, if the practice is just running itself, which is the case in a lot of practices, I mean, we're not trained. They don't give us the training to lead people. It didn't come in vet school. And, and it's sometimes hard to find in places outside of vet school, even now. 
Um, So if you don't have a leader who knows and understands and is actively working on that, you can get into a situation where you're struggling. And actually that's a void in some practices that the right person could fill. You could fulfill that, that need for someone who wants to help drive the culture and drive it um, in a positive direction. We um, at my practice um, have regular meetings and we talk not only about medical things and about flow of the practice and, and all of those things, but we actually sit down and try to get to know each other on a more personal level so that you can appreciate the differences in each other and understand them. I think if you understand each other on a more personal level, it, it emboldens trust and appreciation and forgiveness on a, on a faster scale um, than if you're just the front girl and the back girl. So, so, but that takes time and, and, and it's comfortable. Right? Yeah. You kind of have to do a little bit of work on yourself to understand how you're wired. Because I think a lot of us when we're young, I know I was guilty of this when I was young. I just thought everybody should be wired like me. You know, they should, I'm really fast paced. I'm kind of a little bit bossy. I'm a little like, you know, and, and I just figured that's how people should be because I can get a lot done and, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not good with detail and I'm not good with follow through. I'm great with ideas, but I don't, you know, I don't catch the details. And so I think um, if you can start young and getting an understanding of how you're wired and understand personalities, you know, whether it's through personality profiling or just, you know, doing some self-study or some reading, I think that really helps you develop into someone that can appreciate all people and their, their benefit to the practice. And I really think that a lot of us are really judgmental when it comes to others. Yeah, I I really do. Um, I I see a lot of that in people and, and, it does take some self-reflection to recognize it in, in yourself um, and say, whoa, what, what was I just doing there? Um, let me back up and rephrase that. And, and once the cat's out of the bag, once you've made that statement, then it starts to filter through other people and you can't take it back. And so understanding what your triggers are and trying to either prevent them or respond differently um, to them is, is, personal work that takes time. Definitely. Yeah. But and the culture of, of a place is so important. I mean, it really you, is. You want to want to come to work, you know, it's miserable if you don't. So if somebody's at a practice that has a, a very negative overall culture, and I think it's different if you're the owner and if you're somebody that works for an owner, because the owner does really have a lot of influence over the way the practice runs to the good or the bad. Like I, I sometimes felt like that wasn't fair that if I was in a bad mood, then I was responsible for, you know, 30 people's Mm -hmm. food, which, you know, sometimes my manager would have to remind me, look, you're not good today. Everybody's feeling it, you know? So I, I think that, you know, as a leader, it's, it's super important, but I also think that on some level, if you're in a different part of the practice that you can also have an influence. So Talk to me a little bit about what you think about that. Sure. I, I completely agree. I think it is, it, it is a part of every person, a responsibility of every person in the practice to bring something to it. You, you really, 
can't blame it on everyone else. Um, you, you have to own your portion of it. You can't control what other people are going to say and what other people are going to do, but you can control yourself, you know, and how you react and how you respond to things. Um, you can let yourself get upset about things, complain about them, talk to other people about them, gossip, do these things that become toxic, or you can look at it and understand, well, how could I prevent that from happening next time? What could I do differently? What's my part in this? Um, and it may not be anything that you specifically can do. Maybe you, maybe it's talking to the leader and saying, look, I'm recognizing this as a problem in the practice that when this happens, the whole team has a bad day. How can we prevent this from happening? And, and I think this last year with the COVID crisis, more and more people are understanding you need to set some boundaries. And sometimes that, that's letting go of things, letting go of clients who are creating that. Um, but it takes someone to step up and to recognize and to have conversations in a positive way, not a complaining way to, to affect change. And not behind the back. You know, I, I see yeah. a lot of that. It's like, if you're not the owner, you the people have a tendency to speak behind the back and complain and kind of get a negativity undercurrent in a practice. And, and that really doesn't fix anything. You know, no. I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you that approaching an owner or approaching anyone in the practice that's a negative um, influence on the culture, I, I think is a really good idea. And most people don't like conflict and that's a really difficult conversation to have. And if it is your boss, you definitely could get fired. <laughs> so consider that because that happened to me when I was a young vet, a young gung-ho wanting the culture to be great vet. So you kind of have to take that into consideration, but I think you're so right that, you know, it can come from any level at the hospital. Well, one of the fun things that we did um, when we were talking about that type of, of a problem and people taking it personally or becoming defensive, because that is the typical response is immediately to become defensive instead of becoming self-reflective and what part do I play in this? Right. Um, and it's hard not to, especially yeah. as a boss. It's human nature, when, right? When I am the fixer, that is, that is my persona. Um, and if someone comes at me with something and saying that I was the causer and not the fixer, it's really difficult for me to, to, to take that at first stride. So sure. yeah, um, we actually came up with a code word. Um, and, uh, if, and all, if someone's walking by and says the code word, you know, you need to stop and think about where you're at or what mode or what mood you're in. You I know, love that. That's a really great idea. So, yeah. And it can be something wacky or something funny or, you know, red, red dragon, red dragon, you know, <laughs> and it's not, and it's not a behind the back thing. It is a to the person right? Um, without attacking them. Yeah. Um, so well, and that would be something that you could plan in a meeting, right? Like, right. look, we're going to try to change the culture of this practice because we're realizing that we're a little negative. And so can we, as a group come up with a code word? I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how we, when we feel that it's getting out of control, you know, how can we say something that will bring people back to earth and. Yeah. And you really want to empower everyone. Mm -hmm. It's not one person's job. It's everyone, everyone's job. And if they're empowered to hold each other accountable in a non-threatening way, because I, my, in my practice, we have the, the non-confrontational group 
um, that it's been very difficult to try and get them to step up and hold each other accountable because they mm-hmm. care for each other so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you don't know, want to hurt anyone's do it, feelings. Yeah, do it in a comfortable, more comfortable way. Um, yeah. That has helped. So are there any um, activities other than that? I love the code word thing. Is there <laughs> anything else that you've done to try to get get the culture moving in a positive direction, like ideas for people that are listening, if they have a practice that's really negative, like baby steps to get it going in the right direction. Sure. I I think what helped us the most was to start with some sort of a a personality profile of some sort. And there's so many out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can do DISC, you can do Myers-Briggs, there's a, a million different ones, but to start with that and to explore that people have different personality types and not to stereotype them or put them into a box, but to understand that there are different types. And when you say a word to one type, it could mean something completely different than when you say that same word or phrase to a different type. And that's because of their personality type. They, they think you're being accusatory the first type of person. And the second person might take it completely in stride based on their personality. And so starting with some personality profiling, um, and there's free, free ones out there. You don't always have to do the the ones that cost money. Well, Um, and we've done podcasts about it um, at the Michigan Veterinary Medical Association, the CEO there, he runs some programs with that where he'll go into practices and run that for people. I know other people that do that. And so you can hire someone to come into your practice to run it. There's um, kits that you can buy to play games, to learn about personality. Um, it doesn't have to be super formal, but I think just broaching the subject that everyone's a little bit different. And if we can learn about the different personalities and create more understanding, I think that really helps. I think it's, it's a great start and it opens up conversations that people wouldn't maybe have with, e- with each other otherwise. Um, start to find commonalities, um, with each other, um, when you, when you have some of those discussions. So, um, that's where we started way, way, way back when, um, and the thing about it is that there isn't a start and a stop. It has to be a perpetual thing. Mm -hmm. So 20 years ago, when I bought the practice, we did Myers-Briggs, but in the last few years, we've done a few different personality, um, profiles. Again, you have new people that Mm -hmm. come through. Um, but also just refreshing, refreshing yourself and reminding yourself that, hey, maybe I've gone too far in one direction and I need to, to be aware. Rain it in. That's what Rain I mean. Rain it in. Hold <laughs> <laughs> back that high D. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as uh, activities and things like that, do you have any unique ideas of things that you've done to kind of foster that feeling of camaraderie? I mean, I think that's part of your culture, right? Is if people mm-hmm. feel like they're on the same team. Yeah. It really helps us um, to move in the same direction. Yeah. We've, we've done so many different things. Um, I think one of the fun and easy things that we did was um, be this guy, not that guy. Mm. And we hung on the board uh, a stick figure um, two stick figures, one that was a happy face and one that was a grumpy face. And we had over a period of time, uh, everybody put down the kinds of things they liked to work, the kinds of 
of traits that they like to work with. Um, so friendliness, humor, um, reliability, those types of, of characteristics all got put on the be this guy and the kinds of things they didn't like. Um, anything from uh, unreliable, I hate to say the same thing that I just said, but right. um, all, all of the things that they didn't like. And then we had, and, and we allowed that to happen like over a week's time. So people had time to think about it because okay. sometimes what happens in the meeting, if you get put on the spot, <laughs> Especially the people that are very introverted or people pleasing yeah. and are afraid to speak up. I've been yeah. really guilty of that in my staff meetings is I think everybody should think it's really fun. And, and it really, sometimes I challenge people because I'll, I'll schedule a game and I have people that aren't, they just don't think you should be playing games at work and they feel really uncomfortable and I kind of have to push them to do it. And sometimes I win them over and then I have other people that are just like, I'll sit back here and play, but I'm not standing up in front of the group. So, you know, you have to be respectful of that too. So, yeah, we, we gave them time and allowed people to process it and then had a meeting about it and, and, you know, pulled them down and talked about them and used them to help build core values. What is important to us? What are our most important um, attributes and, and what are deal breakers for us? I mean, honesty is one of our huge, huge core values. And so if someone breaks that core value and, and, and splits off from that, it's a big deal to us. I mean, to the point of you're, you may not be a good fit for our team, or you're not a good fit for our team. Um, if you're, you're not following our core values. Um, and so we've done that and developed our core values and then talked about what exactly is it? How do we define that core value? Because it's one thing to say honesty, but, but what kinds of situations are we talking about here? And, and literally spelled them out um, for the group. And so it's, it takes several meetings to get through this, but the process is what is so important in building the culture. Yeah. And I think, I think to understand, and I, I see this sometimes when you have meetings is people kind of roll their eyes and they don't want to participate or they don't want to go through it. Um, so I think sometimes if you have a, a practice culture that is really naive when it comes to this kind of talk and this kind of people building, and, you know, if all the meetings are pointing fingers and negativity, I think it's a really hard thing to start. And so I think if you're in a very toxic practice or you're in a practice that doesn't do any of this, it might be a slow start, but that doesn't mean that you can't do small little baby steps to try to, to turn the ship, you know, because it is sometimes a big project. You're not just going to go in and get people to start really opening up and spilling their guts in a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. It really is a slow process. And if you're in a practice where there, there isn't the fostering of that, it could be a challenge for sure mm -hmm. to get it started. You know, maybe you have lunch with one friend in the practice and talk about things, you know, once a week or a couple times a month. And, and then you invite someone else to have lunch with you and, and you can grow it gradually that way. If you get a lunch. We know how it is in this, this line of work, right? You're going to get a lunch if you set a boundary. <laughs> you set a boundary. Says the woman that got up this morning and went into work because one of her friend's pet wasn't doing well. So, uh -huh. <laughs> but there, yeah. 
there are special things for special people. Right. We like to say that we're even and equal, but that's part of who we are. Yeah. And it, and a lot of times I try to remind myself that I choose that, you know, right. Like you can set a boundary. So you get a lunch every day. And if yeah. there's one day when you choose to do something else, because it's important, then that's okay too. You know, exactly. but I, but I agree with you. We have to really start working on these practice cultures because it is such, it's such a cancer and an epidemic in our field it right is. now. I just, I'm so sad every time I read all the negativity. It is, it's heartbreaking. And, and I hate to see the first recommendation of everybody is quit, leave there, you know, go somewhere else because there's potential in everywhere. Now there are some places that, yeah, if it's really that toxic, but if no one has ever tried and no one has ever reached out or held the hand of the right person and, and got things going, it, it's just, it, it's hard for me to see quitting as the option. Well, and it doesn't really solve the problem because if you go to the next place and there's small issues, then you're, that's what you're going to focus on. Right. You're not going to focus on the good things about the practice. And that's one of the things when I'm coaching people, I ask them, is there anything good about this practice? Like if you, if you had to sell it to somebody, what would all the good stuff be? And then mm -hmm. what are all the things he'd like to change? And then look at both you know, and see if you can make some of those moves from the change to the, to the good column before, you know, the answer is this place is just irredeemable, you know? Right. Yeah. So what other advice do you have for people that are in kind of in that situation where they're starting to feel, let's talk a little bit more about um, not necessarily culture so much, but maybe just the feelings of being overwhelmed. I think I think since the pandemic started and probably a while before that, that was something that was really starting to ramp up. But I think now this past year has really kind of opened up the floodgates of the overwhelm and the stress that we're all feeling because there's just so many clients right now. Yeah. Do you have ideas for people that are, you know, we've been doing this for a little while, people that are younger and that are kind of like, oh, I just got into this profession and it feels so hard. Right. Well, I think having a little time to yourself to stop and remember on a daily basis why you chose this profession um, is really, really important to, to spend some time thinking about what you're accomplishing. A lot of times we focus so much on what we didn't get done and we needed to get done and what should have happened and this, that, and the other that we don't have gratitude for the things that we did accomplish um, and for what we, what we are doing um, and the reasons that we're here. We, we, we forget, hey, I helped 10 pets today or 12 pets today. Without me, they wouldn't be where they are. Did two of them or three of them have a grumpy owner? Yep, they did today, but you know what? That's not my fault and I don't have to, bur to, to shoulder that burden. Um, I'm sorry for them that they're having that bad day and not taking it personally. I think, again, that that introvert personality um, takes a lot of it on themselves and says, it must be something I have done or I should have done something differently. And sometimes it's just the people. That's just how they are. And Or and they're having a bad day. <laughs> yeah. And they're taking it out on us because their day is bad or. Right. You know, they woke up this morning with a vomiting dog and that's not what they wanted to deal with today. So, right. you know, that's, that's really a big part of it, I think. 
So yeah, I mean, remembering what you're doing this for, taking a break from it, finding time to do things outside of work. As a practice owner, it's a little bit of a challenge because in my world, I want to go out and do things with friends. Um, but most of the time, the friends that you make are people that you you work with. Well, as an employer, there's a little bit of a line there. You're always kind of juggling between friendship and boss. And, right. and and where, where shall you not cross and what is okay? And, and emotionally, how connected are you? Um, so um, finding friends, finding people who have similar interests and doing a hobby outside of, of work. Yeah, I, I really think that that's something and people say that, well, I don't get out of work on time, or, you know, there's always an excuse why we don't do the things that we really want to do. But um, I, I try to tell people that your life will really go by fast. And if you don't step out and do the things you want to do, it's going to be a problem. And then getting over that guilt of, you know, I have to, I have to schedule a day off or a half a day off, or I have to get out of work at a certain time. Cause I have something to go to. I think that's really something that we need to learn how to do. Yeah, that's yeah. a boundary that we need to set. And it's a process. I mean, I still go through that now there last week. I, I, my sister-in-law is visiting from out of town and I took a day off to visit with her because it was important. Um, I I don't get to see her very often. And the first part of the day, where does my mind go? But I hope they're not super busy today because I'm not there. And, um, you know, and so it's not a, all of a sudden I'm going to feel good about it and I'm never going to worry about it again. It's a process. You have to say, okay, I need to to reel that back in. Remember, enjoy your day. That's what you did this for, to enjoy your day. Don't let that that hold you back. Yeah, just being present where you are and not always, you know, what you could be doing. Because the real truth is all of us could be at work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Like I could literally work. I told my husband that one day. I said, I could, right now I could literally work 24, seven. Mm -hmm. Cause there's that many jobs, right? And so it's just, it's not something that you have to do. You don't have to save all the animals. You just have to do the ones that you can do. And then hopefully I'll save some, you'll save some. And, you know, and if we, if we all work together, that we'll get them all taken care of as to the best of our ability. Yeah. Yeah. You know, be open to learning new things and, and trying different things. Cause maybe there's a different way to do things that you're already doing and, and, uh, that will improve your efficiency or, or make your job happier in some way. Um, but take the time for yourself to, to do the things for yourself too, as far as, um, personal hobbies, things that make you happy. Sometimes you stumble upon them. It's not, not what you think. Um, my husband and I went out one night and we're listening to people sing karaoke and I got bold enough to do it. And now it's my favorite pastime. I love, I love Sue and her karaoke. I've done it with you. I don't know how many times. And I just wish we lived closer because I would be there with you every time. I just think it's so much fun. My release. Um, and I schedule it. I actually schedule it. Karaoke night. Yeah, I do. I have my karaoke night and I'm going to go if they have it, I'm going to go and I'm, I'm going to sing my song and good for you. Like 
How many times a week? Is that once a week? It's once a week. Yep. It's once a week. And I, I even originally, my husband would always go with me and he's over it now. He's like, it's not his thing. He doesn't sing. I don't care. I'll go without him. Um, And I'll invite friends. Last week, we had some friends from work that came. Um, I've had some other colleagues that have come, but I'll go by myself and I've made friends there. Other people who like to sing. Every people, other people that are probably there every week, right? Yeah. So, so what's your go-to song? Uh, I really like 80s rock and roll. So okay. I'm all about kind of Joan Jett and the Black Hearts. Um, oh, I, I love, love rock and roll or I hate myself for loving you. And and <laughs> I do uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart from Bonnie um, Tyler. So I'm, yes, I'm an 80s girl. <laughs> I love that though. That's so much fun. Yeah. Karaoke's a blast. So if anybody out there even thinks they can kind of sing. You don't have to sing well to do karaoke. Well, and, and that's the <laughs> Especially thing. Especially at a bar because everybody's drinking. Exactly. I I read a, a study that actually said there are endorphins similar to when you exercise released if you sing in a group. So you don't have to be the one up on stage singing. If you're in the bar singing along, you get that endorphin release. And, and that's, I think that's probably why I go back week after week because I've got that I need that endorphin. <laughs> it's my release. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you about that because I love the karaoke thing and I know you're really into it. So anybody out there, try karaoke. I tap dance, you know, I've talked about that before. And I just, I just joined a class and I met one of my very best friends there like 15, 20 years ago. And so I've, we've tap danced for all these years together and That's we're not, fantastic. not great at it, but it's still fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not the best singer in the world, but I, I will tell you, uh, my mother and I went on a trip um, this spring, um, just a weekend thing. My daughter is a college athlete. And so we went um, actually to see her perform. And we even went for karaoke when we were out of town. We, we found a place. And oh, did, karaoke out of town, so. <laughs> did your mom do it too? <laughs> she, no, she sits at the table and, but and she does still it likes the table. It, probably. It's but probably she, yeah. Will your daughter get up there and do it? She is an excellent singer. Her voice is beautiful, but she's a little, little more shy than yeah. I am. Um, she'll perform, maybe eventually. She'll perform the athletics, but not the singing. Yeah. Well, and she was in the choir in high school and she's uh, done solos. So, but she can do I it. think that setting is just a little, not, not her comfort. <laughs> she doesn't so. want to be embarrassed by her mom. That's the real truth. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a, good component of that. (laughs) That's so funny. I love that. Yeah. So I agree with you totally get, do something, you know, and there's a club for everything. There is, you know, I go scrapbooking with a group of girls a couple times a year. There's plenty of people that do that. It's not, it's, you just sit there, but it's great because it's fun. Mm -hmm. You're with other people. I love Um, to scrapbook too. Yeah. Bike riding, all that stuff. It's, it's just really good for, for you mentally to have other people to connect with. One of the groups that I'm a member of has a craft night on Zoom. Okay, you would think that wouldn't make any sense. We don't even have to talk. There's a group of people on Zoom, everybody working on their own individual craft. You spend an hour doing your thing and maybe showing people as you go along the way. Look, look what I'm working on or look what I've accomplished. And um, it's just fun. It's a it's a that's one of the things that COVID did bring us was the ability to find different ways to connect with people, right? Um, even long distance. So. Yeah. Yeah. Zoom's been 
kind of a good thing and a bad thing. I, I like it, but <laughs> I, I've met a lot of people on Zoom, which is really fun with my kids. Yeah, I've met a lot of people. I definitely prefer meetings in person, but I, I really like the flexibility of it, you know, to not have to leave my practice. Can't give up that whole day. I could give up a few hours a lot right. easier. Yeah. Don't have to drive. I always yeah. hate the drives. That's what gets me. You know, and it's a way to be a volunteer, maybe when you couldn't be otherwise for those like associates out there that can't get time off from work and are interested in MVMA, you know, maybe you don't have to now, now with all of the possibilities that we have. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's a really good suggestion. So what else do you want to talk about? We talked a little bit about, um, you told me that you use a lot of technology in your practice. So maybe um, sharing a little bit of that might help people that don't use some of the things you use to help um, maybe make their work balance better. Because I think the more technology we can use, the better we get at getting our jobs done. I was just writing up records today from here because, which I never used to be able to do, but um, because I'm using the, the computer through work and I just had too many that were piling up on me. So I took 30 minutes out of my day to work on those. So What kind of things do you use that you really like? Well, it it really actually came from our culture, um, our practice culture talk. One of our core values was communication. And whenever there's a problem, it seems like it's related to something with communication. Somebody didn't communicate something or somebody misinterpreted something. Yeah, Uh, You know, there's just something that, that was off. And so we started looking for different ways to communicate um, to try and be more thorough and that's a work in progress too, always. Um, but the the biggest thing that has helped our office has been using an app called Slack. Mm, I don't know I've if used you've Slack. heard of it. Yeah, I use it for it. my coaching. I haven't used it for my hospital, but I've used it with my coaching groups. Yeah, we, we use it in the hospital. And um, it has, you can assign channels or, or groups of people. Um, and everyone typically has their own individual um, channel, if you will. Um, also, but you can send messages back and forth to each other in real time um, through there. You can send a message to an entire group within the practice. So say um, I'm in back and I've taken a phone call and it is somebody who needs to board, but um, I couldn't get to a computer to get things scheduled. I can Slack receptionists and say, please call Judy. She needs to get stuff set for Fluffy for next week. And then it's in writing. It's not just a verbal that someone can forget if they're busy and and people can track it in their time. Um, And so we send it to different departments for different things. We have a a main channel that we use um, for newsletter type updates to everyone. During COVID, it was so valuable Uh, on a day-to-day basis. Every day it was something different, right? Yes, today we are not allowing people into the practice. <laughs> there were um, so many changes. That was oh my gosh, it was so rapid, yeah. so rapid that things had to happen. Um, but we also do fun stuff on it. So we have a, a channel called the Random Channel, and when someone sees a funny meme, they can post it on there. So we'll get a lot of job-related funny things on there, but it can be something completely random too, or or uh, something happening in the community. Hey, here's this wine festival. Does anybody want to go with me? 
Um, and so we have that as one of our channels and that makes it a lot of fun and again, helps to connect us in, in other ways. Um, we have a channel called the Success Board. Um, so a way to thank each other and to appreciate each other because that's one of the things that we found wasn't happening enough. We weren't saying thank you. We weren't saying, oh, I wouldn't have got out of here on time if you hadn't stayed. Thank you so much, Anna, for your help with that patient or cleaning up the mess on the floor or you know whatever. And so the success board has been a fun thing um, for us as well. Um, and then um, we do some other fun things with it too. We have a, a CE channel. So um, anytime anything continuing education comes in, the office manager can just shoot it right to that channel. And at any time, if anybody needs um, to get some or is looking for a specific type of continuing education, they can go to that channel and find the links and, and attach to it. So it's been really a, a good thing for us. It's taken time to develop into what it is, but um, we have a, the, the other channel that we have is a, um, in loving memory. A lot of times when a pet passes, if you're not in the hospital working that day, you don't know. And you run into that client or they're here for something else. And you ask how, how, you know, lucky is doing and lucky we put him down last week no more, and yeah. knows. I mean, the clients expect you to know that, right? Yeah, they do. They Even do. And you, they don't know if you're there. They don't know. Right. Yeah. In a small practice, when we were little, we never had that problem. But the bigger you get, um, there are multiple doctors here. There are multiple technicians here. And um, so whenever a pet passes, it's one of the things we do is put them on the in loving memory. And that way, everybody gets an alert and a notification that that pet has gone. Um, now, does, does everyone have the Slack on their cell phone or their home computer or is it on your hospital computers as well? Like how do you, we, yeah, we have it in both. Um, yeah. And so it depends on your philosophy and your practice, whether people are using cell phones or not using cell phones in the practice, we allow it um, because quite frankly, people are going to use them anyways. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have them looking at this um, and looking at, at work related things than finding other things. Um, not that we have all the time in the world to look at other things anyways. But, um, so we use it, but we do have it on our workstations as well. Um, so people can log in if they're sitting at a computer for a period of time and, and use it that way. Message someone. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really um, good suggestion. Cause I mean, we have different apps and things, but I've used Slack in other areas and I, I think it is pretty easy to use and handy. Very, very user-friendly. Um, I have my father actually recently retired. He was my kennel manager for years. Um, at 72, he finally- That's a big loss. Finally, yeah, reluctantly stepped aside as COVID came on. That was another one of those changes that happened. Right. And not exactly technology- friendly person. He, he struggled with it. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I can't blame him. He, this is completely different. He wasn't raised with any of this, mm -hmm. but he, he knew how to work Slack and he could, could handle Slack and could figure Slack out. It was that easy. So yeah, yeah it is pretty simple. So that, that's probably the main thing that we use that we really that you enjoy. like the best for your hospital. Yeah. And it yeah. sounds like a good way to kind of connect everyone to the people that don't work the same shifts and, you know, yeah. The communication, like you said, is is a good um, thing to keep up with. Yeah, yeah, they'll use it to hand off um, if if because we have a boarding kennel, 
if a dog came in on Friday and that same person isn't working on Saturday, but it has some sort of special need, they'll use it to hand off, even though it's on their cage card or on their chart right. or on anything else, they'll say, Hey, just to remind you, Buster tries to climb the fence or, you know, and they just look out for each other. Yeah. Um, just an extra, an extra little effort to get the communication right. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So that's That's been really, really helpful for us mm-hmm. as far as technology goes. We do um, use a, a whiteboard um, system as well. And that's something that we're still learning and growing into. Um, when we were a small practice, didn't, didn't need it, didn't have it. When you're the only doctor doing something, you pretty much don't need a lot of the things that you need as you get into a bigger practice. Right, yeah. Yeah, you have to evolve. It takes some evolution. And I think when we went curbside, it was a whole, we had to like back up and start over. And now yeah. that we're letting clients come back in, it's kind of the same feeling. It just feels very discombobulated and like we don't know what we're doing, even though we've been doing it for years. I think that that chunk of time where we had to readjust everything really, really kind of set us back as far as um that adaptation, you know, and now yeah, you don't even out. realize that the, the new strange thing has become normalized in your <laughs> life. And all of a sudden you think you're just going to separate back to the way it was and the way it was, isn't there anymore. <laughs> it feels really weird, right? It does. I, well, I walked in, I remember the first day that we allowed clients in we've been doing it for a couple of weeks now. And I walked into one of the exam rooms and got done on the floor. Cause that's what I do is get done on the floor with the pets and didn't realize that the owner was in the room <laughs> with me. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, hi. <laughs> I forgot you were here. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think the hardest thing for me is going to be to quit yelling. And oh. I don't mean yelling at people, but what I'll do is I'll say, what room am I in? Where am I supposed to go? Like I'll yell to the other technicians, like to tell me, you know, where we're at, how we doing, how's everybody back there? You know, like I'm yelling all the time where I, you know, before I could never do that when the clients are in the building. And so that is going to be a hard habit for me to break. It's just the, the, I I call it yelling, but it's just like loud communication. No, I, I completely get that. Yeah. It's a different flow than when people are there. Yeah. So we have to get used to that. Yeah. The technology change definitely is, has been uh, different as we've progressed and gotten larger and larger on some level though, it's been good for us to try to practice a little differently. I mean, I know there's a lot of things that we learned from this whole trying to practice differently that I kind of want to hang on to and keep. And some skills that we've developed that are actually better than we used to do it, maybe. Yeah. So I think there's um, some good that came out of it, even though it was it was a difficult, difficult time and kind of continues to be. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where we just actually had an office meeting right before this podcast. and, And we're talking about as we're transitioning out of curbside, there's some people who really like it. Um, not just their clients who really love it. Yep. My sister is one of them. My sister said, she goes, I love curbside. She goes, I never want to go back in again. Yeah. And I said, well, I hope Um, some of my clients feel that way because I kind of like it too. Well, it is, has created now where when it's all one way or it's all another, it's pretty easy. But when you have a choice and there's two different things that people can do, 
it does create a little hiccup in, in things because we'll have someone who, for whatever reason, didn't call into the building. It's been sitting in the parking lot and we didn't know they were there. Um, that wouldn't happen if we weren't allowing curbside. Right, anymore. right. And so yeah. it's, it's still part of the, the whole process. And Yeah, and realizing that that's part of the growing pains, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're in, in the process of figuring that out exactly what, what do we want to do and how can we handle that best? Yeah. Do you system. have, I'm going to change the subject a little bit. Cause this, I, this is how my brain works. Things just like pop in and pop out. I'm kind of one yeah. of those people that when a squirrel goes by, I'm like, <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> it just popped into my head to talk a little bit to you about, um, being a working mom. Cause you've owned your practice for 20 years and how old's your daughter? She is 19. Yeah. So the whole time, right? <laughs> the entire time. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. Cause I know that there's a lot of working mothers that listen to this podcast, um, sure. trying to create some balance between, you know, their kids and their family and then they're in this great job that we have. So let's talk a little bit about that. I can always split this podcast into two if, it, if we go sure. on too long. <laughs> no problem. No I problem. loved, I love talking to people. So sometimes when I have a guest, it just goes on and on. <laughs> I when don't know when to stop. When it's so easy to talk to you, Julie, it's easy to, to keep going. So, well, and I haven't talked to you in a long time. So, cause I we know, haven't had any in-person meetings so we can catch up. Exactly. Uh, let's see, working mom stuff. Wow. (laughs) I think the biggest challenge that I had was being an owner and a mom, um, trying to make sure it it feels like this constant struggle of, um, back and forth where I'll spend too much time at work and I feel guilty about, I, I missed something or I should have been there or I should have done something differently. And then pulling so far back that you step away from the practice a little bit and things get out of control leadership wise. Um, and, and they need more guidance than you're providing and you've got to get back in there. So it's, it's a constant back and forth and trying to find that balance. Um, I'm not sure that it exists exactly in a perfect world. I think it is more bouncing back and forth, um, rather than sometimes, I sometimes like to call it harmony rather than balance because balance Balance the picture to me is you're kind of trying to do equal. Like I got to spend this much time with my kids and this much time in the practice. And I think in reality, life is more about kind of the back and forth and trying to keep your kids, you know, like I, when my kids were little and I had to, as an owner, go to work on Sunday, I would a lot of times haul them in there with me. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we had some kittens or something for them to play with, or, you know, there was some, <laughs> yep. some bait that I could say, do you want to go to mommy's work? You know? So. Yeah. I, I completely agree with the the thought of harmony because there are times when certain aspects need more of your time and attention. And there are times when they need less um, and, and figuring that out and understanding that is part of the challenge. I really, really made it a priority and it, it was because of mentors that I had in veterinary school to um, be home for dinner while my daughter was growing up um, and to make it to her events, sports, band, whatever it, it was. That was, I knew how important that was to her and it was very important to me. 
And so that, that was a priority and it was just understood that I'm going to miss this. I'm going to, I'm going to um, punch out from work and, and not be there so that I can be with my daughter. Well, and on some level, I think that's hard for people to um, think about because, you know, a lot of business owners are so focused on the bottom line and the dollars, right? that that is the primary focus. And when you're a working mother and you're also running a business, sometimes you have to put the financial end of it at a lower priority than the, the physical, I have to be at the event because, you know, it's worth it because there's always going to be the opportunity to make another dollar, but there's not always going to be the opportunity to be with your child for that one event or that you know, one memory that you're going to get to make. And, and I know because my kids are older that it goes by really, really fast. And you don't realize that until, until you're through it, you know, when you're in it, it feels like it's taking forever. But then when you're through it, you're like, wow, that really flew. So I think just remembering that it's not all about the money. It's not all about the bottom line. If you have to make a little bit less money to have a happier family or to have a happier team in your hospital, you know, I, I even made that a priority when I was leading my hospital as far as my own finances to the to the people, you know, either yeah. having a Christmas party or gifts or lunch or whatever. You know, I think on some level, the financial part of it can take a hit, but the personal part of it is where the priorities oftentimes need to be. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know, you know, some people listening to this podcast might say, well, that's fine. You guys are, are far enough in your career where you can say those things. I have $300,000 in student loans or, you know, whatever. Right. What um, they don't when, realize is that we had that too, right? Yeah. When <laughs> I graduated, I had over a hundred thousand dollars in student loans. And back yeah. then the interest rate was between nine and 10%. Yeah. It was crazy high uh, yeah. back in the nineties for a period of time. Yeah. Uh, Well, and I, and I bought a hospital, so that was a big debt. Then I Mm -hmm. bought the building. Then I ripped the building apart and remodeled it. You just built a new hospital. That's free. That's all loans, right? Right. So I I think just knowing that there, there is an end, like even when you are in that much debt, there are ways to work your way out of it without all the stress around it and worry about it. Because it does, when you look at those numbers, it looks like you'll never get out. You yeah. know, like when I, it, it, I bought my building, I was like, how am I ever going to pay this off? There's just no way. And, and you, look at, you go 20 years, what? I'll never, oh, you know. Right. 20 years seems like an eternity, but at some point you're out 20 years and now you have what you worked for and right. you have the financial freedom and you have the things, you know, the building or the hospital or whatever it is that you invest your money in. And right. so, and, but you and, can't go back to those experiences if you give them up. And so, right. you know, and, and maybe for you or whoever, it's not being at everything, it's being at most things or being at, you know, the, the things that you deem are most important or, or whatever it is, but to, to really think about that and to prioritize um, your relationships um, with your, your family Um you take them for granted more than you, than you think um, right. when you look on it. So, but yeah, I, I, that was, 
I knew going in something that was important to me. Um, she is our only child and she was going to be our only child. So I wasn't going to miss anything that I could, could make. Um, did I make every single sports event in all the years? Cause my daughter played everything. Let me tell you. <laughs> I know if you have really active kids, you can't make it all right. <laughs> no, no. So I don't want to like give this unrealistic expectation to somebody out there that you're going to do everything. Cause I, I didn't. Um, but, um, you know, I, I did a lot and I don't regret one minute of it. Um, no, I think you regret, regret more the things that you don't do yeah. a lot of times than the things you do. And, um, I just, I just know those experiences with your kids are what really is what makes life worthwhile. You know, like I love being a vet and my kids will tell you that I didn't do it all right. (laughs) (laughs) And they had to go to latchkey and that was terrible. Summer latchkey. (laughs) They still tell me how the people at Summer Lafchki locked them outside in the hot sun with no water. Oh, no. <laughs> That's their story and their story. Yeah, to sticking it. to it, huh? Yeah. So, you know, there's a little bit of mom guilt there, but but for the most part, you know, you do the best you can. And regardless of how well you do, your kid will have some story about oh, how I'm you didn't sure. do it exactly right. <laughs> Every kid. I mean, you do the best you can at the time. You You make the decisions that you think are right. And you feel usually pretty good about them at the time. And then afterwards is when you go, oh, wow, I guess I maybe could have done that a little differently. But all you can do is the best you can do at the time, you know. Right. And I I tell people when they're talking about either their kids or their parents, you know, like people my age complain about their kids because they're now adults or people that are in their, you know, teens or 20s complain about their parents it's like the real bottom line is we're all human beings. And so we're all flawed and none of us have it all figured out. And when you think you do, or you think other people do, that's when it's damaging to you, you know, just be the best you can be and show up the best you can. I, I think that that is my best advice to people trying to create harmony. It's like, like, just do do what makes you feel right. And what you feel is morally right and aligns with your values And, you know, if something doesn't go the way it's supposed to go, then that's what happens. And you just learn from it. Yeah. And I think, you know, being forgiving of yourself is such a a skill that's hard to learn. It's hard. It it really is. Um, It's easy to beat up on yourself. um, and, And as veterinarians, it seems like whenever anything goes wrong, at least for myself, I ultimately start looking at myself, what could I have done differently? Or what should I have done differently? And sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes things just happen. Bad things happen. Um, Yeah, because that's life, right? We're we're dealing with living creatures, Mm -hmm. um, both ourselves and the animals and, and we're human and, and And the humans, (laughs) you know, I had, I had a guy a couple weeks ago, I did this beautiful surgery on his dog but it was on the side of the knee. So I told him this is going to be hard because there's a lot of movement. I sewed the heck out of it. I think it'll hold together, but you have to make him wear the e-collar. You have to do, keep him quiet. You can't let him run like the whole thing. So two days later, three days later, he brings him back. Well, the whole center of it's pulling apart. No e-collar. I went out to the car. I'm like, where's the e-collar? Oh, I can't make him wear that. He's too big. He's knocking my house around. And Like, Mm -hmm. like, it was just like, he totally blew me off. (laughs) Yeah. 
and I so and frustrating. Then, and then was worried about why it happened. And I'm like, and he, and my friends told me you couldn't fix it anyway. So we're just going to let it be and it'll heal. And it was just hilarious. I, I just looked at him and I was like, you know, there's no reason for me to get upset because he's just right. a human and he didn't like the e-collar and his dog didn't like the incision. <laughs> yeah. So it well, is what it is. Right? It boils down to all choices have consequences. <laughs> and sometimes we can live with my them choice and to send that dog home with that man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sometimes we need to keep on that surgery in the first place. Sometimes, you know, going into it, this client is going to be a challenge (laughs) or I shouldn't touch this with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. 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 You make bad decisions and then you're like, oh yeah, this was going to backfire on me. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes you don't know. Those are always the hard ones, but the ones that, you know, going in, there's going to be a lot of time spent on the phone afterwards with this one. (laughs) Yeah. And on some level, I, that's why I like this job. I just think that's so interesting mm-hmm. and fascinating what some of these people do and think like it's yeah. a, it's a huge study in human psychology, our job. It is because you deal with so many different people, so many different perspectives. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, going back to the personality type stuff, it works with clients too. You, mm-hmm. you start to understand where they're coming from in, in a way that maybe you never appreciated before, the more yeah. you understand those things. So yeah, I absolutely think that's true. Yeah. So, so what else should we say? Is there anything else you want to talk about? I am going to hold you to the, let's talk about all the mistakes you and I, <laughs> we can get together. We can kind of talk about what we want to talk about all our mistakes and then we'll go for it. That I think sounds that good. sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds like something I've made a do. ton of them. I talk about some of mine on the podcast, but I'm sure I, there's a lot more that I haven't talked about. Sounds great. So any other advice you have, like going away advice, if we wrap this yeah. up? If we were going to wrap everything up, um, I, I think when I have struggled over this last year, I think back to um, what helped me get through it the most, and it's reaching out to other people. Um, don't stay stuck within yourself, um, reach out. And I know you and I worked together a couple of times um, uh, individually, and it helped me more than you know. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Reaching out to other people um, and, and looking for help, not staying stuck within yourself if you feel like you're struggling. Realize that you're not alone. Because it's everybody, it's a, it's the human condition and we all do it. Yeah. I love that. I always say that on the podcast. I'm like, just reach out. If it's a friend, if it's me as a coach, if it's one of your colleagues on these boards, you know, that's, that's the beauty of our profession is there's so many of us that understand our families don't understand really what we go through. You know, like I said, my phone dinged this morning and it was like, oh, it's your day off, but your friend is in trouble. You got to go help. Um, you know, other people don't have that. And so talk to somebody that, that understands and, and don't, don't be afraid that your, that your situation is unique because it's probably not, we've all been through it. Absolutely. Case or some client that yelled at us or some employee that went rogue or (laughs) there's so many. There's a lot of stories. That's why, I, that's why I want to do the, the mistakes and things that went wrong podcast. That's going to be our next All right. one. Dr. Susan Snails. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you. 
And um, this is Dr. Susan Sales. And can anybody contact you if they want to say hello or comment or anything? Yes, do you, absolutely. Do you want anyone to contact you? Absolutely. Um, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, probably the easiest way um, is going to be through Facebook. Um, I'm, I'm of the generation that uses it. Um, so. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> but we're, but that's old school. My kids tell me now we're Instagram and TikTok. Oh, I we've think. got an Insta account too. Insta, but... Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Facebook is probably the easiest way to so reach out. Is it you personally or your hospital name? It is me personally. Okay. Uh, so yeah, if someone were to send me a message personally and say, "Hey, I heard you on the podcast," I would definitely um, open Perfect. that up. Beautiful, and, and everybody knows where to find me. I say it all the time on the podcast: JulieCapel.com or VeterinaryLifeCoach.com or JACapel at DVM at gmail.com. JACapel DVM at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I said that right. I was saying it too fast. All right. Well, I really appreciate you, and I hope to talk to you again soon. And I. I really am thrilled that you came on the podcast today. Thanks so much, Julie. It was, it was a lot of fun just catching up. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Have a beautiful week. Bye. Bye Sue. Bye-bye.